Seven seconds or less. This is a podcast about the NBA with a Phoenix Suns focus. My name is Max McCauley, and I am joined as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Max. It's a long weekend here, so we're recording on a Monday for me, and it's been a, a tough little stretch again of Suns basketball, but I've enjoyed the three days off, and uh, we'll... Enjoy watching them against the Lakers this afternoon. We'll see how that one goes. Yeah, hopefully better than, as you say, uh, the, the stretch they've recently had, because it's been pretty uh, depressing. And that's why uh, it's about time for our monthly award show, David. We're not going to do it the same way, though, because, you know, as you said, it's been depressing. <laughs> it wouldn't be fun to do that. Yep. Um, so instead, we're, we're going to briefly bring up our nominations. We're going we're gonna to say who we give the awards to, but we're really going to use it more as a springboard to go into... Uh, I don't know, how would you describe it, David? Like, you know, high-level, you know, questions about the team? Yeah, I think as we started to look back, as you said, it's only been a couple of episodes since our last monthly recap, so we wanted to do something a little bit different for the listeners, and uh, I think from the awards that we normally do, there's probably, you know, four or five good conversations for us to have uh, based around those awards and that are kind of bigger picture stuff for the Suns, so... I'm still looking forward to jumping in and, and discussing some of those hot topics, Max. Yeah, me too. And we also wanted to do it a little bit early before the end of the month because we want to do a, a trade deadline next next uh, next pot, which is, you know, that's fun stuff. I love the trade deadline. I do too. We'll, we'll touch on that later. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that uh, just from a general NBA sense, not even if the Suns do anything in particular. Yep, same. We'll probably break down both next week. Uh, and then we're also today, we're going to get into the league-wide awards, kind of do a checkup on that, mm-hmm. uh, talk about what we had preseason, what's changed. Uh, who the front runners are, so that'll be fun. I, I like getting into stuff like that because that's kind of like what you know, what kind of matters about the NBA this year. Yeah, and it was it was interesting looking back on on that preseason episode from us and mm-hmm. uh, how close we have been on some and and how terribly off. Uh, at least I was on a couple. I'm not sure how you're tracking with yours, but we'll... Uh, there are hits and misses. There are <laughs> <Yeah>. hits and misses. <laughs> all, all, always going to be the way. So, yeah, we'll we'll touch on that at the end of the episode like we always do for those that like sticking around for that stuff. Perfect. Uh, but before we get into any of it, David, how about a little bit of a recap and some news that have uh, just happened recently here? Yeah, I'll go over it very quickly. So we obviously had a, a number of losses since we last recorded. The, the home and home with Minnesota... Uh, then the loss to Portland, then the big loss to Denver, which we saw the uh, fallout from from that one. And then, as I mentioned before, we're about to play the Lakers this afternoon. Probably by the time people are listening to this, that game will be done and dusted. So we'll we'll see how we look after that one. But for now, our record is eleven and forty, Max. And uh, we don't need to go over the rest of what we normally do in this section because I think everyone 
knows by now where that places us uh, amongst the league. <laughs> but given it's a, a January recap as well, worth mentioning, we are 2-11 and 11 on the month. And as you said, a little bit early for our recap. So we've got games against the Lakers and the Spurs to go to maybe get that up to 4-11 and 11 at best. So that's pretty much it from results perspective. But there's been a little bit of news as well, Max, with 10-day signing of Emmanuel Terry, who I'm pretty much sure, you know, I saw our friend Jeff Allen on Twitter mention that he's never heard of this guy and he's probably the Suns person that is up with the G League the most. So I don't expect anyone to know too much about Emmanuel Terry, but he's a, a 6'9 center, basically, uh, who was playing in the G League for a couple of teams this season. And it could mean that Quincy Acey's gone, although there is a way to keep both of them around because the Suns do, do still have a roster spot open as well. So that'll be interesting to see whether it means that it's a straight swap for AC and, and we're saying goodbye to him or or whether both of them are going to stick around, Max. Yeah, and if you're interested in knowing what uh, what he looks like, the new guy, uh, I would recommend David's always excellent thread. He went and broke down some tape on him so you don't have to. Uh, I guess the guy's like an athlete, right, David? So I guess the idea here from the Suns, if they are replacing AC with him, is just to get more athletic in that position, I guess is the idea. Uh, I'm surprised because I, I kind of thought that... And listen, Quincy AC isn't very good, and he, he I cringe whenever he shot a three-pointer because I'm not sure he made a single one all season <laughs> so far. I think I saw him hit one because I remember Book, Booker going nuts <laughs> on the bench. Wow. Uh, but yeah, but I kind of I, I get why they had him on the team though, just because he was you know he's kind of the scrappy dude, veteran guy they they need. Yeah. And I'm surprised sort of they'd replace him with you know sort of like a young athlete guy who probably is not going to know how to play basketball. Is my guess. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think what we've seen with Holmes and Aiton out and AC being forced to play the five mm. and his limitations there. You know, the little that I have seen on Terry so far, he's got pretty eye catching athleticism above the rim. Uh, both on offense and defense. So, you know, some of those things that we saw that AC couldn't do when thrown into that position, you know, maybe Terry is a, is a guy that can come in and um, he, he looks a lot like Rashawn Holmes. Um, you know, this is strictly speaking from the, the little bit of footage that I've seen on him so far. But uh, for Suns fans who haven't seen it yet, go check out the thread. But if you're just listening to this now, you can probably imagine a, a little more rawer Rashawn Holmes in terms of his overall skill set. All right, well, we probably just talked about Terry more than he's ever going to play for the Suns. So <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to our uh, our Suns Awards here. We'll start with the MVP, the best player of the month. Last month, David, I had Booker. You had Aiton. This time, I have Booker again. He's uh, he's had a mediocre month by his standards. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, uh, but he's still easily the best player on the team, David. Yep, and I'm doubling up. I, I feel a little bit silly almost having Aiton last time because... Uh, looking at the numbers, Booker's December was clearly his best month of the three that he's played in so far. His January is a, a little bit down on that, and uh, I'm nominating him here as MVP purely because uh, there's no one better on the roster right now. And, and this is the first, I guess, discussion point that you wanted to bring up because there's no point spending five to ten minutes raving about the uh, the best player for the month, Max, because it really hasn't been that way. Yeah, no, it, it's yeah, he's been the best player, but it really hasn't been rave worthy this month. Not at all. Let's get into, I want to talk about Point Book, okay. David, because I've seen some people on Twitter... I don't know what what's the way to put it. Like, just be done with it. They want to throw it out. They're just they think the experiment, as they term it, is over, and it's it's time to get rid of it. Yep. I don't really get the impatience, David. I, he's 
He's still extremely young. People forget that about Booker. He's been in the league a while now. Very young. Uh, he's rather new to playing point guard. He did it a little bit last season, but this is kind of the season where he's really been doing it consistently. Yep. Uh, and the question I would ask is, David, how many point guards are like great at being point guards right away? Like excellent point guards right away. Wow, we've talked about it at length on this pod. I think we even brought it up last pod about why the Suns are, are very unlikely to bring in a rookie point guard next offseason to, to mm-hmm. pair with Booker because it it takes a long, long time to, to learn that trade. And uh, Booker didn't do it even as a junior. He was a very traditional shooting guard. So he's starting even further back than some of these rookies do that have at least played the position their whole life so Mm -hmm. uh, it's probably the most difficult position in the NBA with probably the largest talent pool on a a nightly basis that you're coming up against as well so there's Mm -hmm. no nights off when you're the starting point guard of an NBA team that's for sure no there definitely isn't and you know even if it weren't a good thing for the Suns to have right now which I probably dispute because I think Devin Booker point guard is probably going to be their best lineup Yep. But even if that weren't the case, I wouldn't care because the Suns are bad and they're, they're not making the playoffs this season, obviously. At this point, it's about developing the players. And I think that the best way to develop Devin Booker right now is to you know develop his playmaking. I think most of us are, you know, besides Chris Hansen, uh, relatively confident that he can shoot uh, <laughs> long term. Uh, and the, the issue here is, like, if he's just a shooting guard who doesn't play any defense, if that's, that's his, you know, his ultimate outcome... It's really hard to be valuable being that. It is. Like you just, yeah, you're just not. You're not going to be a franchise player. Like, what, can you name off the top of your head a single franchise player who meets that description? They pretty much don't exist, Max. And the, you know, the traditional shooting guard doesn't exist for the most part anymore. But the ones that come off the top of your head, the Clay Thompsons, Bradley Beal, even though he's you know obviously picked up his playmaking recently with with whenever John Wall's out. But you think of those traditional shooting guards, uh, the really really good ones anyway there's not many of them and even the likes of JJ Redick have had to pick up on the defensive end he's become kind of almost an underrated defender Mm -hmm. uh, late in his career because you have to be able to defend your position if you want to be a traditional shooting guard in the NBA so you know we've spoken about it before with Booker his ceiling on that end is probably to just try and be an average NBA defender which he probably can do you know, purely because of his size, but uh, we're not seeing that outside of a very small patch this season from him. And yeah, I think you're right. I think they have to persevere with him in that playmaking role as much as Igor seems to be against it long-term. And as you say, a lot of the fan base are against it long-term, but touching back on what you said about, you know, the fan base being sick of it and kind of ready to throw it out. You know, we're seeing that with a lot of discussions around the Suns at the moment. And you know, frankly, for the most part, I don't see any of them being worthy of just throwing it out and not discussing it any further because it's really hard to judge anything on this team at the moment. So I wouldn't be drawing a red line through, you know, many conversations at all just based on what we've seen in the last month. Yeah, no, I, I certainly agree with that point. And I, I'm interested you bring up J.J. Redick because you know, the thing is, if, if, if Booker turns into J.J. Redick, I mean, you're not paying that guy a max contract, right? Devin <laughs> exactly. Booker needs to earn a max contract and the, and the way to do that because he's not going to be a high-level defender, right? If you look at the, the the shooting guards who have been incredible players at that position without being playmakers in history, you know, your Michael Jordan, your uh, Kobe Bryant, they, in their primes, were just excellent. Deep defensive player of the year-level defenders. Yep. Particularly Jordan, but even Kobe was very good at that end, too. Uh, and, you know, Booker's not going to get there. He's just not. I mean, he can be better, but he's not going to be an all-world defender. That's just not in his, uh, that's not in his projection. 
Um, and, and here's the other thing on this. And, you know, people were like, yeah, well, there's not a very good chance he's going to turn into James Harden. And, you know, granted, there's only one James Harden. Uh, but but if he, the closer you can get to that, the better, right? And if he gets to the point where he's you know your, your lead initiator, that's great. Then you've really done good work there. Yeah. But he doesn't have to get there though, right? Because you know NBA teams need multiple initiators in, in this day and age. That's how teams win. Mm-hmm. So if, if Booker's developing those initiating skills, even if he's not the primary initiator on the next Suns contender, the next Suns playoff team, it, it'll still be incredibly valuable for him to be able to have those secondary uh, initiating playmaking skills. Mm-hmm. And, and the only way you're going to you know get those out of him is by developing them, as letting him make plays. So I, you know I think now while you don't have a high level playmaker on the team, is the perfect time to be helping him you know develop those skills. It doesn't bother me that he has you know games where he has eight turnovers. You know, let him learn. Uh, there's a lot of uh, research that's been done to show that you know young young players with high turnover rates actually that that oftentimes. Uh, correlates to them being better playmakers later on because they're trying things, they're learning what they can and can't do. And I, I think that's kind of where Booker is right now. And it's surprising to me that people are so ready to just give up on it. Yeah, and not not to mention a lot of the teammates that he's sharing the floor with as well. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. the turnovers that we see, particularly late in games, is when he's trying to make the right pass. But, you know, the defense just collapses on him because they know that they don't need to be very worried about a Melton in crunch time or, you know, even a TJ Warren, they sag off a little bit because they know they're going to have time to uh, adjust on TJ because he's not a danger to, you know, throw a mm-hmm. skip pass after after Booker releases to him. We saw that a little bit in, in some of the crunch time situations this month, which might come up a little later. But yeah, I think it's a great point by you. Uh, you know, looking at Booker's December, he was averaging around seven and a half assists. That's kind of dipped down to five and a half for January, but he hasn't been all that healthy. I think we've only just seen Booker return to health maybe the last four or five games in January. So I'm not going to judge his numbers too badly, but he is getting to the line a hell of a lot more. And you speak of that James Harden mold, he's up to kind of eight free throw attempts a game in January, up from about 6.2 in December and 4.4 in November. So that part of his game has definitely progressed from month to month. And, you know, there's. Yeah, that's the health thing for sure. Oh, totally a health thing. He's just more comfortable taking those hits and, and exploding past defenders as well. So that's definitely a health thing. And, you know, there's been a lot of attention uh, and a lot of coverage around Booker in, in terms of what he worked on this offseason. And he's referenced himself, James Harden, and watching a lot of footage from a young James. James Harden that took on uh, those Rockets teams. So I think the positive thing, you know, take the general fan base thoughts out of it, Max. I think the franchise at least agrees uh, with your opinion on this. And I wouldn't be surprised even if, you know, Igor is being asked to start Melton and Mikhail for the rest of the season purely around that with Booker you know they mm-hmm. they clearly let's throw out whatever their aim was at the start of the season I think they very much know what kind of team they are now and every decision that they've made recently at least it seems to be about the development of the team going forward now you and I don't really agree with some of the things that they've done around that because they're really hurting the team by not adding certain pieces around them or or even changing some of the lineups but you know guys like Melton and Mikhail being in the starting lineup with Aiton and Booker I think is very much an eye on the future and very much an eye on the future of Devin Booker yep I very much agree that's a great point I actually hadn't really thought much about and I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I totally agree with it 
Uh, one last point I want to make before we move on to the next award. It, just the, it, I kind of get the impression from Suns fans that they think Devin Booker is kind of having a down year or something. Yeah. He's not playing as well as the past. If you look at, like, especially the advanced stats, really any stats, but if you look at the advanced stats, despite Booker's shooting woes, he's just like worlds better than he's ever been in those metrics before. And, and I think the reason is the both getting to the line thing, but really the, the playmaking. It's the fact that he's actually doing something besides scoring on offense. And, you know, that's just key to his value. And I think the advanced stats were reflecting that. Yeah, and I think this is the first season, despite what we were all seeing watching Suns games the previous couple of seasons with Devin Booker, this is the first season that he's been statistically up in the group of the best shooting guards, at least on offense in the NBA, mm-hmm. despite how excited we were about his overall play in previous seasons, he didn't appear on those lists. Whereas, you know, it's hard to argue against this year and, and he's been injured for a lot of it as well. I'm just hoping this is probably going to come up a lot on this pod. And from me in general, sounding like a broken record, but I'm really just hoping we get some consistency with health and, and this lineup for the rest of the season. Cause that's really all they're going to be able to get out of the rest of the season is, you know, build a bit of chemistry among the young core and, you know, go into the off season feeling positive because, you know, if the off season ended or started today, I, I don't think that team would be feeling all that positive about their kind of uh, projection going forward. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair thing to say, <laughs> uh, especially right after the player meeting. Uh, okay, let's move on to the sixth man of the year, which for our purposes is more of just who we want to see more of. Yep. Uh, last time around, you and I both said Ubre. We did. Billy Ubre Jr. Yep. Uh, which we've gotten, didn't really get our wish, but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, this time I'm saying, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this, David, it, it, Dragon Bender is what I'm saying. <laughs> and for me, ironically, is the second time I'm saying his name okay. in this section. Uh, I called out for it a little while ago and didn't get my wish, um, but I'm getting it this time. I, I'm saying Dragon Bender again, which... I think is a surprise to both of us. On Ubre, you know, he's playing a lot of minutes. It's probably just not in the role that we were hoping for yeah. last month when we brought him up in this section. But, uh, you know, it's only been four games, I believe, from Dragon so far. But, you know, it, it kind of brings up a, a new discussion point here. And it's, you know, how do they continue to give him minutes, Max, uh, when Holmes and Aiton are back? Because we're seeing him play, you know, predominantly or, or solely as a five-man at the moment in this shorthanded lineup. And uh, there's a couple of interesting things with both his play and Igor's comments recently around that. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of discussion on this, and I've been surprised that, as far as I've seen, and I'm sorry if I'm not crediting somebody else who's come up with this, but my my idea here is, and to me, pretty pretty apparent, is you got to keep playing him at the five because that's where he's been succeeding more than he ever has in his career before in the past few games. Yep. And also just previously, the only success he really ever found, as far as I can remember, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, is at the five. He's really just never ridden that good at the four. I think it's because he's sort of slow on both ends and he's not skilled enough. Like yep. He has the, you know, the, the raw abilities to have the skills, but he doesn't actually have those skills like at an NBA level right now. Two via four. Yeah. So to me, you, you still need to play him at the five. And I think that the opportunity to do that is apparent. What you, what you do is you play him at the five in, in some backup uh, stretches with Holmes at the four. Because from what I've heard from Philadelphia fans, we haven't seen it with the Suns this season, but he played a lot of four in Philadelphia next to Embiid. And that was actually where he was at his best. And listen, it's you know I, I'm sure Embiid covers for a lot of ills when he was playing next to him. And Bender won't do the same thing, but... Against backup units, 
Uh, I think you know. I, I think it's going to be. I think it'll be a new look this team hasn't really had, David. It'd be a look of a. It's sort of a team that can actually rebound. Yep. We I mean, I see Vinder and Holmes playing together uh, against backup units, and you know their, their skills are kind of complementary because you have Bender who's not athletic but can kind of shoot a little bit, and he's smart and does the passing thing, and Holmes who's just the ultra athlete motor guy. Yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's kind of what I do about it. What do you think, David? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's the only way to continue to get in minutes, and I hope we see it because, you know, just when those two come back as good as they've both been this season, you don't want to see Bender just relegated to the end of the bench again and not see him. I mm. think he's played well enough to at least try some things. I think as much as I almost don't agree with the comment, it's at least encouraging from Igor that he's mentioning that he's a four because, you know, if he came out and mentioned it, he was a five, particularly with how stringent we've seen Igor with some of his rotations, then it probably would mean Bender back to the bench because it's, you know, you can only get so many minutes into Holmes and Aiton at, you know, the 48 minutes at the center position. I think what you brought up with Holmes is definitely the way that you, you bring him on the court. And then you get into a discussion about, you know, positionless basketball, essentially, like who's, mm-hmm. who's yep. actually the four and who's actually the five. I, I think Eagle's comment was probably directed at Bender's defense. I think he's probably more comfortable guarding fours. As honorable as he was against Towns and Nurkic, they kind of got the better of him, particularly late in games. He's just not big enough to stay with your traditional centers. So No doubt, but let me let me jump in just real quick on that point. I think that's a reason why it makes a lot of sense to play him as a backup five, because the backup fives around the league are not going to be as terrorizing as those two. Yeah, definitely. And at least with Holmes, you get a chance to to fling things around, you know, based on yep. matchups and things as well. And then when you move to offense, because Bender can shoot from outside and Holmes is your kind of energy guy in the paint, you know, who's the four and who the five is doesn't really matter. Their, their skills are at least complementary with each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the way forward. I think you definitely uh, are going to see Bender at some four next to Holmes in the backup unit. Whether you call Holmes the five and Bender the four or vice versa, I don't think it really matters. I think it's definitely worth seeing the both of them together. And that only means good news for, for Bender and, and all of us who, who want to see a little bit more of him because you know it's only four games, but 14 points, seven rebounds, one and a half assists, one and a half uh, steals per game, only 25% from three, but you know he's letting it fly and the rust might kind of come off eventually. We've already seen in a previous season from him that he's a better shooter than what he's shown in the last four games. So you know it's a far cry from what we saw in Summer League and preseason from Dragon Max. So I'm hoping we just don't continue to see DMPs when, when everyone's healthy again. I'm so glad that you touched on the positionless basketball point because I don't want to get on a huge tangent here, but... I, I always preach this, and it's over and over. It's People tend to get too obsessed with what position each player is going to play. Yeah. Really, at this point in the NBA, your position is who you can guard. Uh, like you said, on offense, it just it really doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Holmes and Bender, like you said, they're just going to do what their skill sets allow them to do, right? Yeah, and I think that's what Eagle was you know, likely referring to. I yeah. would have loved to have seen some follow-up questions after that comment from him because I think it confused quite a lot of us when he did come out and say that, you know, just after Bender had played one of his best games in a Suns uniform. But, you know, I've got my doubts. I've I've had the same kind of arguments on Twitter and things as I've seen you have with, with people basically just saying, oh, you just put him at the four 
and everything will be fine. You know, he can shoot. He's going to be great. But I, I'm happy to see it. We're, we're definitely in experiment mode this season. So there's there's no point not mm-hmm. throwing it out there and seeing what happens. I'm just preaching a little bit of caution, uh, getting a little bit of pushback from, from most people on this. I'm totally happy to be wrong because as a, a Bender Island occupant for a long, long time, I'm happy to see him play well. But, you know, just what we saw him do on offense, you know, mainly on the roll, finishing at the bucket, as I said, not shooting great from outside. Um, I just think it's the five roll on offense that has kind of given him a little bit of confidence because it's really simplified what he's had to do. Whereas in the past, when he's the four you know, operating on the perimeter on both ends of the floor, that's kind of where he gets, you know, a little bit lost and, and doesn't quite know what to do. And you Yeah, can... he's just more useful at the five. He stretches the floor, he brings the other team's big out. Exactly. Uh, his, his ball handling, is, which isn't great, is definitely a lot better when he's at the five. Yep. Because the people guarding him can't, you know, put the ball away. It's just it, What he does right now, it's, he's just more useful for your team when he's at the five than he is at the four. Uh, I hope Igor realizes that. I'm not going to lie. Those comments did scare me. Yep. But if what, if what he's talking about is defense, I mean, I, I guess I get it because he's overpowered by some fives. I still don't think it makes a lot of sense. I don't think he can stay with a lot of the fours. I mean, it depends on the four, right? I mean, it, part of the thing is the Suns have been getting killed by guys like Julius Randle. Yep. Uh, when they play the four, because like you know, what the hell we're playing? Who or Josh Jackson, whoever on? <laughs> like, if Bender's going to be on that, that Bender will probably be better against guys like that. Uh, than those guys would be. So that would make sense, but I don't know. Interesting. I think the overriding point here from you and I is that it's really just don't get too obsessed with positions. Um, before we go to the next award, I just want to very quickly, I swear I'm not going to go to tangent here, but this is this is the thing that bothered me with the Doncic discussion because everyone was like, Doncic is your point guard, but how is he going to guard point guard? It's like, yep. you can do different things, different sides of the floor. He can be your primary playmaker and guard fours or threes, you know? And that's... Same thing with Bender to a lesser extent. He could be, you know, your offensive five and defensive four or whatever. There's ways to get around this stuff. Yeah, and that's on Eagle, yeah. to be honest. You know, as a proponent of of his basketball mind, particularly on the offensive end, it's on him to work out how to use his best players. He can't just mm-hmm. put Bender back to the bench after this little stretch. He does have a history of being able to play two bigs, you know, up on the elbows together. It wouldn't be in line with, you know, how we've played so far this season. But, you know, that's a coach's job. He has to work out ways to, uh, you know, best use some of his guys and, and, you know, maybe allow Bender to stay in some of those situations in the pick and roll and things that we've seen with him out of five, even though he's sharing the court with uh, Holmes or maybe even Aiton. You know, that's Igor's job. He has to allow Dragon to still get some of those looks that we've seen. Um, And, you know, maybe with some more NBA talent on the court around him, it will be even easier. I'm still just a little bit skeptical. I just want to see it first. But, you know, I'm looking forward to watching it, which is why he's the, the nomination in this section. Yep. And just the very fact we're saying that is very cool. I'm very happy for him. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the Rookie of the Year, which is really just the best moment from a rookie yep. for us. Uh, last time I had DeAndre Ayton. You had Igor in a very out-of-the-box, clever little move. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I yeah, did. Yeah, that was very clever. I liked it. Uh, this time I have... It's been a tough month, <laughs> David, but uh, I'm going to go with Mikel Bridges. Yep. Really more just because of his general defensive play, but I'm going to just highlight from a few games ago. I honestly can't even remember which game it was, but he had this really nice uh, seal, poke away seal as has become his thing. Yep. And then a three-pointer on a fast break, sort of by himself, pulled up, made it. That's 
that's just kind of the dream for Mikael Bridges. Yep, it was the Portland game off the top of my head because okay. I remember cutting the film for it. And a great segue into my nomination, which is Ali Okobo, because I remember that play in particular. Okobo was uh, really pushing Damian Lillard, ball denying. Uh, he trapped him with Quincy AC, and that's where in the freeze frame you saw Bridges' IQ kind of in motion. Uh, you saw him notice the trap. And then, you know, even though he was six feet off his man, all of a sudden he gets his arm in there, def- deflects the ball, and, and then hits that knockdown three in transition, which was awesome to see because that's kind of, uh, as you say, in a nutshell, what you hope from Mikael Bridges' uh, whole career with the Suns, really, is that kind of three and D archetype. So uh, that was cool to see. That game, for me, is also my rookie moment, Elia uh, Kobo. Um, I nominated him. I think we both did after an OKC game earlier in the year. For I think it was the Clippers, but yeah, we did. Oh, it was. It was too. Yeah, the November recap, I think it probably was. That was probably the last good game we saw Ali play up until this Portland one. And uh, I just wanted to highlight both him having a great game, but I think it also shows how far off he is. We see the flashes in games like that. I thought he was just absolutely awesome in that Portland game, just with how aggressive he was. Um, and just really kind of trusted himself out there. Uh, but as I said, it was probably the Clippers game was the last time we really saw that from Ali. And, you know, that's what you're going to get with rookies, unfortunately, particularly when you're playing this many of them, Max. It should be no surprise why we're so inconsistent and, and so bad, essentially, is because these guys show their flashes of talent, but it's very few and far between, unfortunately, maybe outside of DeAndre Ayton, who has been inconsistent himself, but is is a pretty consistent player in terms of the things that he's bringing for the Suns night in and night out. Yeah, well, what I will argue, and this is going to be sort of our big question for this this part of it, is I, I think that the really the only consistent thing we're getting from a rookie is Mikhail Bridges' defense. Okay, yep. So Bleacher Report ranks all the players in the NBA, Yep. right? And, and, and the Suns had three players in the top 100, which I think is a farcical thing, <laughs> how bad they are. But anyway, we'll get beyond that. Uh, they had TJ at 99, which I'm going to leave alone for now. <laughs> and they had uh, they had DeAndre Ayton at 76. Okay. David, I, I I have been on record as saying that I've been happy with DeAndre Ayton this season. I think he has shown that some of the concerns about him should no longer be concerns. I think he's going to be a good player in the NBA for sure. I, I feel pretty confident about that. Yep. Uh, I, I don't think he's the 76th best player in the NBA, David. Uh, in fact, I think that Mikel Bridges is, if you're just judging purely by the impact on winning, uh, a better player than DeAndre Ayton is right now. What, how do you respond to that? I do not disagree. I think, I mean, I didn't see that ranking, so I, I can't really judge. But if I, I definitely agree with what you're saying if it's you know purely a top 100 list based on the first 45, 50 games of this year and, and no projection going forward or anything like that, which I suspect is that's what it was, Max. It was, I think, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's probably a little far-fetched. Um, I think, you know, I'd throw Melton in there as far as uh, what you said up the top in terms of rookies being consistent with what they're bringing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing a little bit of inconsistency from both Mikhail and Melton on the offensive end because that's where their limitations are right now. But, you know, it, it's no surprise. I'm probably not shocking any Suns fan listening with these stats. But, you know, those two are top two among rookies in deflections at 2.8 and 2.6 per game. And top two in steals among rookies at 1.5 and 1.4. So throwing back to the the first discussion point we had around building around Booker as your kind of primary initiator, the Suns, I think, have found two guys here who are perfect at the one and three 
around Booker, at least from a defensive standpoint, when we talk about uh, how limited Booker's going to be going forward. And yep. it's just going to be about how they can round out their offensive game and, and become more playable on that end. But that probably highlights why a guy like Bridges isn't on that top 100 list because he's not doing much offensively right now. And generally, that's what the wider NBA community, particularly with these lists, pay attention to, Max? So to- well, they also, they don't pay attention to bad teams. I think I think if Mikel Bridges would have stayed in the 76ers, that trade never would have happened. He would be getting buzzes. Yeah. Not, not Rookie of the Year because Luka's so ridiculous and DeAndre's stat is so good, but he would be getting buzzed for like, you know, the 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 seal the draft sort of thing, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think he would be, if he was on a winning team right now where, you know, you had good creators and offense that got him with constant wide open threes, and he was like his defense was more impactful just because it not more impactful but more noticeable mm-hmm. because of these moments it was in. I think he would be getting so much buzz for what he is. Uh, the, unfortunately, a three and D uh, role player who's not hitting his threes. Honestly, yeah, that's not fair. He's hitting his threes at an okay rate, right? He's like thirty five percent wherever he is. Yeah, he he's average for a rookie, but we we expect we expect more from him for sure. He's just yeah, because he's such a, a new, uh, he's such a skilled, talented shooter that he should be shooting forty percent every single year. Right? That's that's how I view him. Yeah. Um. So it's disappointing when he doesn't, but. Yeah, M- Mikel, if he was on the Sixers or the Celtics or whatever, would be viewed a lot differently than he's being viewed on this team. And I think he probably is one of the 100 best players in the NBA. Just literally, if you look at the advance, he's like a his defense is already one of the best perimeter wings in the league. Um, he needs to get stronger so he can be a little better of a one-on-one defender. Yes, for when sure. When you're talking about team defenders, he is. Yeah, I mean, he's already there, which is amazing as a rookie. Yep, I think you know his lowlights this month were maybe that Toronto game where he let Siakam kind of blow past him. Yeah, yep. for that that buzzer beater win, and and also the Rose mid-range, which was you know not his fault at all. But you know when you're the guy left on an island against a guy like Derek Rose, who was absolutely rolling that game, uh, there's not a lot you can do, even with all his length. But as far as consistent team defense, he's clearly the best player on the Suns from that perspective. He's just, uh, as you say, got to get a little bit bigger for for some of those one-on-one ISO possessions. But back to your original point, I think uh, I do really agree with you, um, but I, I agree with you from a point of trying to highlight to people listening and, and Suns fans in general just the impact that Mikel does have, even though he does struggle on offense sometimes with his defense, rather than it be a shot at a guy like DeAndre Ayton. Because I think if you look at some of the advanced stats, particularly just among the rookie class, Bridges is in the top five for kind of overall impact and and kind of win shares for teams, which on this really bad team and as a guy who's, you know, pretty much only contributing for his defense right now is pretty phenomenal. Um, But Ayton's not too far behind him on a lot of those lists as well. So I would just say that I agree with you that he's having more of an overall impact than DeAndre Ayton right now but certainly not just a shot at Aiton. It's it's more, try, and I think this is what you were trying to do with the with the discussion point, was really make uh, Suns fans aware of the impact that a guy like Mikael Bridges can have, even though you get to the end of the game and you know his box score doesn't look overly impressive. Yeah, that's really the key here. Uh, and also, he's, even, he's not really taking anything off the table. I mean, he can disappear on offense sometimes, but the thing about Aiton is, you know, his good games are better than Mikel's good games, obviously. Yeah. Yep. He's just more talented. He has more potential, all that stuff. But uh, Mikel doesn't really take a lot off the table. Uh, he's like Aiton will, you know, his defense, it, it gets overblasted on Twitter, but it is a problem. 
uh, his rim protection. You know, he allows a very high percentage of the rim, and that's that's taken a lot off the table. It is, and and probably the reason that you and I both appreciate Bridges is you know talking about couple of the other Suns wings that we'll probably get into in a little bit is uh, yeah. they're the ones that do take a lot off the table when things are really bad. Whereas I really appreciate the consistency of Mikhail as a rookie. Obviously he's a three year college player. So he's been there, done that won a couple of championships and not to overly repeat myself here, but he's that perfect, not too high, not too low player. And uh, just a just a winner, and I think yep. he'll get more attention league wide, as you say. When hopefully he's on a good team, and he'll definitely. He's the get... kind of guy that once we're in the playoffs again, he's going to be my favorite player. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah, <laughs> he's going to be my favorite player. Yeah, and he's going to have plays at the end of games that are the opposite of what we've seen this month with the Toronto and Minnesota game. Like he's going to do things that actually win new basketball games at the end and, and, you know, hopefully crunch playoff games too. And that's why they made the move for him. And I'm confident. I just hope they uh, can get their shit together because as we've spoken about recently with both Booker and Aiton as well, that the front office is definitely in a position where they need to start making some moves so they don't, you know, ruin these young guys and ruin their confidence because Mikhail's, you know, definitely seems like a guy who uh, has played it pretty straight his entire rookie season so far but you don't want to run the risk of denting his confidence too much and, and really ruining him. Yeah, they're probably going to trade the deadline for Terry Rozier or something. <laughs> uh, Alright, let's move on. This is going to be kind of ironic and, and funny, but uh, Disappointing Player of the Month. Last month we both had Mikel Bridges. <laughs> we did. <laughs> uh, this month uh, I have Devin Booker. Yep. As I stated earlier, he isn't himself right now, despite the fact he's the best player. He's also giving off some bad vibes lately, so that's why he's disappointing. Yep, and I have TJ Warren, which, very similar to your mm-hmm. Booker, you know, we both had Booker as the MVP, so you nominating him here does seem a little odd, like me nominating TJ Warren, but they both just haven't been quite themselves this month, and... We, you know, with these awards, not a lot to choose from sometimes. And, you know, frankly, we just expect better from, from both of those guys. So TJ's January is only 15 and a half points per game and not really contributing much else. Uh, still 39.5% from three, although I have noticed he's taking less max, which may have something to do with him hitting the criteria already for his little 250k bonus this season uh but something to watch for suns fans out there i think he's being a little more selective with that three recently which is hurting the team a little bit uh and he's hurting the team overall with uh you know the toronto game is the one that really comes to mind this month in particular where it's a couple of boneheaded plays from him that essentially lost them the game in my opinion anyway so hard to call him disappointing player of the month but uh, you know, the the lack of playing within the system on both ends is kind of frustrating the more you watch TJ. So that's why he winds up here for me. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think that I'm probably among Suns fans the lowest in TJ Warren. Uh, I appreciate the improvement that he's made this season, particularly as a shooter. Yeah. Uh, even if I haven't, I haven't noticed uh, that, but you might be right that he's starting to pull pull off the trigger on the, on the three-pointer, which is... You know, that'd be very T.J. Warren of him to be doing that. <laughs> it certainly uh, would. And which is, you know, all I need to say about how I feel about him, I guess. I don't know. We're going to have a Booker discussion here, David. I don't know. I think we... I don't want to dwell on this because it kind of sucks. But there is, like, you know, there's some bad vibes coming from that. There might be some discord between the team. Uh, do you want to make a, a short point on that? Because I think it is worth bringing up. Yeah, I just thought it was worth bringing up. You know, I've seen a lot of fans kind of wonder whether he's fed up. You mentioned it here at the top. 
Um, there, there definitely seems to be some negative vibes coming from him. I'm not that worried about it, uh, pr- I guess in context to some fans that I see, thinking that he's going to demand a trade this offseason or something. I think we're still pretty far away from that. But the only thing I would say is what we were touching on before and, and what we've touched on in previous episodes as well is the team, I hope, is communicating him with him regularly about what their plans are so he doesn't feel like he's just at a total loss about where this team's going. And, um, you know, hopefully they're still aiming for a strong finish to the season, as I said before, because I think that will uh, go a long way to helping his feelings about the direction of the team, you know, going forward, Max. Yep. Agree with you. Don't want to linger on this too much because it's depressing. And I, I think it's a symptom of being in the middle of a season where we're not playing very well. I think, you know, we can go on another good stretch again and, and maybe this will dissipate a little bit. I do think Booker's committed to this team. So we're not going to get a trade demand like in the next, you know, few months. I, I, that's not happening. Yeah. So I would, if, if you're worried about that, I wouldn't be worried about it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's move on to most improved player, which we term the player who most exceeded our expectations. Yep. Last month, I had DeAndre Ayton. You had Josh Jackson. This month, David, I am on your team. I have Mr. Josh Jackson. And I'm doubling up again. Uh, doubling up with you and doubling up with my last month nomination on Jackson. I I will give a shout out to Kelly because I think particularly his three-point shot um, and just his overall confidence as he's kind of getting entrenched with the team looks to be pretty good. But I think we should be focusing on Josh for this section, Max. Yep, me too. Um, And it's I think we should be focusing on, you know, how he's improved. Yep. Because I've seen some people suggest that he should, like, be our point guard now. Yes. Which I think is uh, absurd. <laughs> he really hasn't improved as a playmaker this month. Uh, he's actually, you know, he's had slightly fewer turnovers, but his assists are also down. Exactly. Per game. Um, and also, just the eye test, watching every game, I think he's kind of been making, you know, just as many, if not more, boneheaded decisions passing the ball yep. lately. Uh, but but really, what he's been doing is he's just been—it's really been about his driving. His, his select, not really shot selection. I'd call it drive selection. I guess it's a lot better. Yep. Uh, his true shooting percentage is up to fifty-three percent, which is slightly below the average. Uh, a far cry from where he was before. He was at forty-one, forty-eight, and forty-five the past few months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's still despite him having a poor three-point percentage and a pretty you know okay free throw percentage, slightly improved but not great. This month, and I and I think the the key to that, David, is that he's picking his spots on drives more. And while he still sometimes has finishing issues around the rim, it's it's much better now. Yeah, he. I think picking his spots is the perfect way to say what Josh has done better this month. You touched on his true shooting percentages, kind of on the rise. I would touch on his finishing at the rim. Uh, league average mm. for the month of January was about 58.3. Josh is kind of right there at 56.3. And whilst that is just below league average, if you compare it to December, he was 43.1 and November 48.1. So he has definitely improved, as you said, at finishing at the rim. And I think that's the best way to sum him up. Yeah. You know, this recent improvement from Josh hasn't been that he looks amazing. I think it's that he now looks like a playable average NBA player that's not hurting the team yep. drastically more than he's helping it. So again, we always touch on in this section, it's kind of based on expectations more than anything. And has he exceeded them? And I would say for the month of January, he definitely has because he is improving. I think what you said on the assist turnover stuff is spot on. 
Uh, I think December, it's 2.5 assists to 2.2 turnovers, so just in the positive. Last month in December was 2.6 and 2.6, so basically cancelled each other out, and November was 1.7 and 1.5. So the assists are you know up around that 2.5 as they were last month, but the turnovers are pretty much right where they are as well. So yeah, good point by you. Definitely wouldn't be throwing him into the point guard role or anything like that. Although I would give the... You know, small window of hope with him of if we did commit to point book again, then maybe you could see him in a backcourt with Booker as the secondary playmaker rather than the primary one as like the starting point guard or, or something. I'm I all for it, man. I actually think that they played pretty well in those lineups. Yeah. I don't have any stats to back that up, but just based on what I've seen this season, that's been kind of one of their better lineups, right? Yeah, and it's been a frustrating thing for me is, you know, and probably frustrating for Josh. He still is thrown around quite a lot as like the, anytime there's an injury, he's the guy in there. Sometimes it's a point guard. Sometimes it's a shooting guard. Sometimes it's a small forward and then more recently he's basically been the starting power forward on this shorthanded team so Mm -hmm. you know we saw that diary entry from Josh kind of frustrated about his role he's really that guy that just gets thrown all over the place again not to sound like a broken record hopefully we can get a bit of consistency with this team for the end of the season and he Mm -hmm. can kind of settle into a role but you know one positive of all these injuries is we've finally seen Josh and Booker together which I would like to see a little bit more of yeah so would I uh, and I, I want to make one more point on him is is that one of the things with him pre-draft was he was supposed to be extremely athletic, right? Yep. And that was going to be a thing that was going to be great for the Suns. They need athletes. Uh, you know, everybody in the NBA needs athletes. But I think that last season his athleticism appeared to be disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in this recent stretch it's kind of rebounded a little bit, in, at least in my estimation. And I think the reason for that is the picking the spots thing. Yeah. Like, I don't care how athletic you are. If you're just driving into idiotic situations where you're just driving in, you know, with a great defender on you, driving right into a rim protector, like, I don't care who you are. You can be Russell Westbrook. You're not going to look good doing that. Exactly. Uh, but when you're, yeah, when he's actually picking these spots, like, his his ball handling and speed and all that stuff for his size starts to stick out a little bit more, doesn't it? He starts to look more like the athletic freak that we were hoping we were getting uh, when we drafted him. Yeah, and Eddie Johnson touches on it a lot in the broadcast of like when he gets stronger, and you know you can even notice it from month to month as he's getting stronger and more confident. He's mm-hmm. finishing a little bit better around the rim, but you know he's not going to get those calls. Um, that maybe he expects to get. You probably hear him yelling on the broadcast more than anybody in the Suns lineup um, for foul calls on those drives. And, um, you know, he's just not going to get those. So he can't go barreling in all the time, as you mentioned. But, you know, I think he's playing a little bit smarter. Definitely still some progression to go. But you throw that in with all the kind of effort stuff that he does and and all the effort indicators for January were certainly there. Like he was getting 1.2 second chance points a game, two and a half fast break points and 6.8 points in the paint. So, you know, they're all up from month to month and you throw that effort in with playing a little bit smarter and then you you kind of might have something with Josh. Yeah, the effort thing is is burying itself in the stats. Uh, His DRPM now, which I, I trust for players like, Kim is mm-hmm. only slightly negative, which is great for him. <laughs> uh, and, his, and his blocks are way up this month. And I think blocks are a, a nice indicator for Josh. 
uh, they're showing like, kind of how active he is just in general. Yeah. And uh, so when his blocks drop, I'm happy. And his blocks are way up this month. So that, that's great to see. David, do you want to go ahead and go to uh, Did You Know or do you have anything else to point out? Uh, let's throw a few questions just to wrap each section up and then I'll go straight into Did You Know, Max. So sure. uh, it's my turn for seven seconds all this at the end of the episode, but I'm going to go with some bonus material here for you. So MVP first, just really short answers from you here, Max. Mm-hmm. Can Booker still be the best player on a playoff team eventually? Yes, I think uh, I think if he gets the playmaking up, which is why I'm so big on point book, he can do it. Yeah. Yep. And Dragon Bendo, if this little form continues, would you look to bring him back, even though they already declined his option for next season, Max? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it'd be uh, quite a boon if they could get him for less than a six million dollar option price tag, wouldn't it? That is very true. Very true. Uh, rookie of the year. We kind of touched on this a couple of episodes back. Uh, I'm not expecting you to move Dontich from number one, but. How would you kind of redraft the first few spots of the 18 draft class based on what we've seen so far? That's funny you mentioned that. Uh, it really wouldn't be that much different, uh, to be honest yep. with you, for what I had. Not not from the actual drafts, but uh, I would have gone, I still would go Doncic. Uh, Jaron Jackson, I had it at eight and still, although he's closed the gap, as I mentioned. I don't think it's a tier thing anymore. Yep. And then I'd still go Trey for. I think Trey, has, uh, you know, as bad as he's been on defense this season, his passing has been pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, and then you know, you're the only guy, and then I guess I'll, I'll say I'll say Bagley too. I think Bagley's been pretty good too, kind of under the radar, decent. Yeah, and him and Trey have looked kind of better as the the year has gone on, which you would kind of expect from rookies. Mm-hmm. And the, the bar that Dontich and, and Aiton in particular have set of these guys just coming in straight away and putting up crazy stat lines is is not easy to. Yeah, those two are just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, the only guy who I guess you could say is really disappointed here is Bamba, right? Yes, and you know maybe coupled with Vooch's play. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Orlando has kind of set him back a little bit, but he was always quite raw. So uh, moving on to disappointing player of the month. We touched on this before, but what year of Booker's contract do we have to be worried about a trade demand? I think it's a bit premature at the moment. I don't think he'd do it until not not next season, the season after that, maybe. Okay. You, you can't demand a contract in the first year of your <laughs> big extension. Exactly. Uh, I mean, maybe he can't help. I mean, he, he, you know, players are uh, going earlier and earlier all the time in this stuff, but that would be something, wouldn't it? It would. I'd probably even go a season later than you, but yeah, I think I agree. Nothing, Not something we have to worry about just yet. Um, no. There's enough to worry about for the Suns, so let yourself off, Suns fans. You don't yeah. have to worry about that just yet. And... Jackson and TJ, both kind of been mentioned quite a lot in these awards recently over November, December, and January, but who are you more confident is going to be on the team going forward out of those two? That's a really interesting question. Oh, man. That's that's, that's fascinating, David. Th- those two are both just so interesting and, and sort of in different ways. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't really think they're going to move TJ just because I think they're probably going to value him more than anybody else does. Yeah. But again, I got, we, we made this point multiple times. It's just impossible to value TJ around the league. Uh, so I guess I'll say him, but man, oh man, that's not easy, David. It's not at all. And I will let you off the hook there and jump straight into Did You Know? So Max, believe it or not, we are at episode number 36. amazing. But did you know the Phoenix Suns have never had a player wear the number 36? (laughs) In fact, 36 is the lowest number that has never been filled in the purple and orange. Phoenix have used every number from double zero all the way through to 35 in their 50 odd years, but never a 36, 37, 38 or 39, and then no 48 or 49, 
and then anything between 56 and 97. And of course, no number 99. So first quiz, Max, that means we've had a number 98 on the Suns, and it was pretty recent. Can you remember who it was? We had a number 98, huh? I know Josh Jackson was 99 in Summer League. Right. Um, he was, which may come up a little later, oh. but there was a 98 a little before his time. I cannot remember. Who was it? It was Hamed Haddadi. <laughs> <laughs> a son during the 12-13 season where he averaged 4.1 points, 5.1 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks. Haddadi is one of nine players who have been the only player to wear their number for Phoenix. Dan Marley was one of those, as we mentioned last week, who will hold on to that number nine after being put into the Suns' ring of honor. Max, can you think of any of the other three ex-Suns who are in the same boat as Marley as having their number basically retired and therefore being the only son to wear it until that perhaps changes in the future? So hold on, clarify this for me. They, they were the only one who had worn it when they wore it, and then so you're saying they may never wear it again? Exactly. They were the first person to pick it when they put it on for the Suns, and then they've since gone into the Ring of Honor, and therefore likely that no one wears this number again. There's three of them. Man, I, I, I imagine they're probably some of the older ones, right, because people wouldn't have had the numbers yet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll try Westfall. No. No. Well, there you go. Uh, Hawkins? Hawkins is one. We'll stop there. Yeah. Let's end. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. Let's end on a good note. So there's number five, Dick Van Arsdale, the original son, okay. as he was known, wore the number five with New York first before ending his career in Phoenix from 68 to 77. There's number six, Walter Davis, mm. who was known as Greyhound or Sweet D, who wore six from 77 to 88 with the Suns. I would argue the most underrated player in Phoenix Suns history. Just doesn't get talked about enough. And, you know, that's kind of bears out with you not mentioning him with your answer <laughs> there, Max. <laughs> uh, but he kept the same number when moving on to Denver and Portland after Phoenix as well. And then, as you mentioned, number 42, Connie Hawkins, or Hawk as he was known, came from the ABA where he wore 42. He kept it with the Suns from 69 to 74 and then also held on to it with the Lakers and Hawks at the end of his career. But then there are some lesser names like Hadadi Max who chose more obscure numbers and that's why they still hold on to the record, not that they are in the ring of honor or anything like that. So there was double zero Tony Delk who signed as a free agent and wore double zero over two seasons in the desert between 2000 and 2002. He chose it as a tribute to his brother who wore the number before he did. Number 28, Andrew Lang, was traded as a future draft pick from the Bucks to the Suns and drafted in 88 with the 28th overall pick, hence the number 28 that he wore for four seasons until 92 max. 46 was Bo Outlaw. Bo had two stints with Phoenix, first traded in the magic deal that eventually landed Amari Stoudemire, of all people. He wore 45 the first time, but then when he signed again as a free agent in 2004, Stephen Hunter already had 45, so he went up one to number 46. And Scott Williams, number 47. Williams had a long career in the NBA before signing with Phoenix in 2002. He wore 42 mostly previously, but couldn't because of Hawkins, as we mentioned. So things are a little unclear after that of why he chose his number. But his other number, 55, had been worn by Daniel Santiago for Phoenix, which might explain why he didn't go with that one, and somehow wound up with 47. 
If any listeners know why he actually chose 47, please feel free to let us know. Uh, Hadadi's 98 actually was the international calling code back to his home in Iran when he was in the US. So that was his little tribute to his country. Now, Max, I don't want to let you off too easy this week. So speaking of numbers and looking at our current roster, one more big test for you. How many current Phoenix players started their career in a different number to what they are wearing now? And you mentioned one previously earlier in the segment. Hmm, how many changed their numbers in their career, huh? Yep. Trying to think about this. I guess it'd be more the veterans. I I mentioned one earlier in this segment. Yes. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Who would I mention, David? (laughs) So the overall answer is seven. That's a lot. And I'll run through them for you. So Kelly Oubre wore number 12 in Washington, Mm. but that was, of course, taken by TJ Warren, so he chose number three. Speaking of number three, you might remember Bender chose it when he was drafted, but quickly sold it to Jared Dudley when he re-signed with Phoenix, and he went with number 35 instead. Juwan Evans and Jamal Crawford both started their careers in number one, but because Booker has that, they went with zero and 11, respectively, in Phoenix. Of course, 11 has been Crawford's most prominent number two. Ryan Anderson was unlucky, too, with his original number 20 taken by Josh and his usual number 33 retired by the Suns, so he went with 15. But speaking of Josh, you mentioned him earlier. Mm. His number 20 wasn't his original either. He switched to 20, it became apparent that Knight wasn't going to vacate his college number 11. Max, I was going to test you on this, but you already said it. Do you remember what number he wore in Summer League? 99, David. (laughs) It was, and I wish he kept it because it would have been awesome, in my opinion, for one, but also because it would have taken us full circle and he would have been the 10th unique number on the Suns. But the last current player is Rashawn Holmes, who wore 22 in Philly, but was unlucky that Aiton chose it before he arrived, so he went with 21 instead. Just going to throw this one out there, Max. We know Aiton chose 22 eventually because he couldn't take Nash's 13 that he wore at Arizona. But he wore zero in high school, which was occupied by Marquise Chris when he was drafted. So don't rule out the big fella changing to number zero this offseason, Max. And I'm sure the Suns would be fine with it because they'd get a bunch of New Jersey sales as well. So... That's it, Max, and on to our usual Around the Association segment now. If I were DeAndre Ayton's agent, I would force him to change to number 50. This is a great big man number, you know? <laughs> it is. It definitely is. Like number 13, number 0, number 22. These are not big man numbers, man. What's going on here? <laughs> okay, yes. Let's go on to our Around the League segment. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to get into the actual league-wide awards. Do a little checkup here. Yep. Uh, measure where we were preseason versus where we are now. So I'll start with the MVP. David, preseason, I had Giannis 1, Davis 2, LeBron James 3. You had LeBron 1, Giannis 2, James Harden 3. David, I think your number 3 is probably the guy who's going to win it. I was just about to say, I'd uh, if I could reverse my rankings, I'd be uh, <laughs> looking in a pretty good spot right now. It's definitely Harden's award to lose Although we definitely need to give a, a shout out to your first pick, Giannis, because he's averaging 26 and 12, almost six assists, 1.4 steals, 1.5 blocks. And I noticed, even though it's not a perfect science, 
is far and away above on Basketball Reference MVP tracker at 39.1% chance of winning the MVP. They've only got Harden at 20% max. And I think... What do you think? That's probably a record-based thing? I think it is, yeah. Giannis is 35 and 12, whereas Harden is 28 and 20. But I, I noticed you on Twitter say very recently that, you know, the little 17-game stretch from Harden has pretty much wrapped up the MVP, and I don't disagree with that at all. I think that there's, you know, there's still a chance Giannis Come from behind if you know, say Houston just totally falls off or something, yeah. Or you know, with Chris Paul coming back, it limits James Harden. Although tonight, James Harden's 37 11 6, Paul's <laughs> first game back, so not yet. Uh, but yeah, I, I very much agree with what I said before, which is probably good that I agree with myself. <laughs> that, that, that 17 game stretch is among the most insane, impressive, amazing things I've seen in my entire life as a basketball fan, yep. Uh, I don't want to get too far into the whole you know debate between people who don't like watching him play or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't care if you like watching him play or not. You have to acknowledge how ridiculous it is what he was able to do with that G League roster he had around him. Exactly. The fact that he made it uh, a nightly routine thing to approach 50 points, and it was like a disappointment if he was below 40. Uh, it, it, when Booker has 40 points, we're all like in awe and amazed. Uh, James Harden made that uh, routine. Exactly. And it's just insane to even bring that up. Like, it, it, you cannot, you know, praise James Harden's 17 game stretch there enough. Yep, and that's taken him to 36.2 points per game at the moment. Absurd. Uh, not counting today's game, which would actually overtake Kobe's 35.4 in 05-06 as the highest scoring season since then, Max. Jordan, when I looked up this stat... Uh, averaged 37.09 in 86-87, which is just absolutely ridiculous. So stupid. And then the top four is entirely Wilt Chamberlain, even with a season averaging 50 points, which I just cannot even fathom how an NBA player could do that, no matter what the competition is. But shall we move on to another award? Yes, uh, I do want to button that up, though, because uh, I think the very fact that we're putting in that kind of historical context is in that rare air is just enough to give him the MVP, right? Like. What he's doing this season is more than an MVP. It's, it's you know, historical is what it is. Yep. All right, let's move on to the sixth man of the year, which I think is probably one of the harder ones that we're going to do here. Uh, preseason, I it's had... It's wide open. It's wide open. Uh, preseason, and also neither of us did very well here. <laughs> uh, I I had Fred Van Vliet, uh, Marcus Smart, uh, Dennis Schroeder. You had Isaiah Thomas, Lou Williams, and Eric Gordon. David, uh, Fred Van Vliet's been a little better lately, but he's totally off the radar, so my number one's off. Isaiah Thomas hasn't even played yet. Has not think. played a game. That's how well I went with my prediction. That, that almost lets you off the hook, though, right? At least like, he hasn't like, been horrible <laughs> or something. Like, you just didn't know he wasn't going to play. That's true. But as you said, it's wide open, so I'm going to throw the question at you here with uh, a group of guys of which I think only... A couple are in my rankings, but uh, I've long said that this is basically a points-per-game award at the end of the season. So pick one to to put all your money on from here, Max. These are the points-per-game leaders who have at least started more on the bench than on the court at the first jump, or should at least for the rest of the year. So you've got Julius Randle at 19.9 points, who has come off the bench 20 of 47 games, so he's got some work to do to qualify there. Uh, Lou Williams, 18.8, has come off the bench all 43 games. Derek Rose, 25 of 38 games have been off the bench at 18.6 points per game. Spencer Dinwiddie, mostly off the bench, and he's scoring 17.2 points per game. 
Uh, you've got Jordan Clarkson is 16.5 points, but I don't think he should be. Uh, Jordan Clarkson is not going to win it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and then a little smoky here, as you mentioned, CP3's back. Gordon's only come off the bench 14 of 37 times, but if CP3 can stay healthy for the rest of the year, he may make a late run to qualify, and he's currently at 16.3 points per game. So if you had to pick one of those guys, or you can throw in another, who would you uh, re-choose for six-man going on uh, the rest of the season? Before Spencer Dinwiddie's injury, which I understand is going to keep him out about a month here, uh, I probably would have gone with him. That's going to be tough to overcome. It's still possible because Brooklyn's such a good story, and they're you know I think the media is going to want to reward them in some way. Yeah. But honestly, and, and this is going to make uh, a lot of NBA Twitter very angry because they don't like this person very much for probably somewhat good reasons. Uh, but I think the media doesn't share that same hatred, and I think Derrick Rose is going to win the award uh, going away. Honestly, I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think we saw it in All Star voting. He didn't get up, but mm-hmm. uh, there was both fan voting. Uh, I think player voting, and I'm sure there was some media voting in there uh, a lot for Derrick Rose as a starter in the All-Star game. So uh, I don't think you are going to be disappointed if he can keep this play up uh, with the final results in that award. So let's move on to Rookie of the Year, Max. Oh, let's do it. So this one's probably pretty easy, but let's go ahead and start with our preseason. I had uh, Luka Doncic, number one, DeAndre Ayton, number two, Jaron Jackson, number three. You had DeAndre number one, Luka Doncic number two, and Trey Young number three. Probably the most interesting discussion we can have here is is the third, so we'll get to that. But at first, I want to ask you this question, David. Are we at the point yet where Luka Doncic wins this award even if he has a season-ending injury? Yep, it's over. It's in my notes here. He's got it in Mm -hmm. the bag, as I would like to say, as well as Aiton has played. Both the Suns play... Uh, and Luca's incredible play, quite frankly, means David, that... have you seen him tonight yet? Have I, have seen not. I have so not. I have not. So the Mavericks are currently, as we're recording in this moment, uh, up 104 to 99 on the Raptors. So mm-hmm. they're beating one of the best teams in the league. Uh, seven minutes to go in the fourth, by the way, so plenty of time left. Yep. Luka Doncic has 30 points, 12 rebounds, and 9 assists on 12-19 shooting. <sighs> Jeepers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is why he's got this award in the bag, Max. I, I look back through the archives, particularly if he keeps having nights like this, he's going to uh, put his points per game up quite a bit. But even at the 20.2 that it was before we started recording this podcast, you have to go all the way back to Blake Griffin in 10-11 for a Rookie of the Year winner at more points than Dontich is looking like he's going to post for this season as an average per game, Max. So he has... Far and away even exceeded my expectations. I think we recorded a few podcasts early on before the season started where I thought that, you know, he might be a 15-point-per-game player, uh, and he has gone far and away above that. So, as you said, the more interesting discussion is probably who's going to maybe challenge Aiton for second by the end of the year or even just who's going to finish third. Yeah, I think it is. And I think that you and I, with Jaron Jackson and Trey Young, have probably identified the two uh, guys who have a chance yep. to either surpass Aiton, probably not surpass Aiton, but at least uh, you know be the third. I think right now it's probably Jaron Jackson. He's been a little more consistent, and I think people really like him. Uh, but Trey Young's coming on a little bit. He had a really nice game the other night, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him overtake him at, at, at some point. Yeah, and to compare the two, I think uh, Trey Young has been doing from the start of the season uh, what Jaron Jackson might find himself in position with post-trade deadline. So if Memphis actually do pull the trigger on Conley and Gasol, all of a sudden Jackson's on a little bit of an island by himself 
uh, in a rebuilding team. And uh, he'll be faced with what, as I said, Trey Young was faced with to start the season in terms of having a hell of a lot more attention on him. And be interesting to see whether that increases his numbers and therefore his chance at uh, some Rookie of the Year votes or whether it maybe slides him back a little bit and someone like Trey Young can take over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be interesting. All right, should we move on, David? Let's do What's it. What's next? Defensive player of the year? Want to move there? Yep, another very big open race, but I think most of our choices look good, Max. They do, yeah. So I had Kawhi 1, Gobert 2, Giannis 3. You had uh, Gobert 1, Davis 2, Embiid 3. I think the only one out of there that doesn't look great is Kawhi. Uh, he's just taking too many games off. Um, and and I'd throw in was, I'd throw yeah. in Embiid as well. I just I had a look before. Toronto's defense is eighth in the league, and Philly is eleventh. And you know, with the history of this award, you you don't win Defensive Player of the Year if your team's even out of the top three or four, really. Yeah. So I think we can eliminate both of those from our choices. Yep, I agree with you. I actually I think it's kind of a four man race, David. And let me know if you think one of these four isn't another person to add to one of these four. Yep. I have it as uh, Rudy Gobert, Paul George, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Draymond Green. Yep, we mentioned Draymond, I think, last episode, having a down year, but uh, is kind of the key to the Warriors' defense still. Their defense overall still isn't great, but with him on the floor, it is very good. Uh, And I'm glad you mentioned PG, because I've got him here as a question mark, as someone that neither of us mentioned, but definitely deserves to be in the conversation. I think OKC had the fourth best defense Uh, before tonight started so you know if you're looking at the top five defenses it's milwaukee indiana utah okc and boston so i think you've picked most of the likely guys there my only other note on this one is and it kind of on the back of the mvp discussion max does Giannis get a lot of sympathy votes for this award because people feel bad for harden essentially taking the mvp off him (laughs) i can see it yeah especially given the fact that he kind of I'm not going to say I would pick him. I think he's, like, you know, deserving, though. Oh, totally. Yeah, I just think it might move the needle even further towards it. Yeah, I can see. So it's tough, man. Uh, Who would you go with? I think I might go with Paul George, honestly, if I have a gun on my head right now. But where would you go? I don't know if I'm being uh, biased and and hopefully trying to get one right from the preseason. But I'm still on Gobert. I think he's having his best season. And and Utah are, are filling that requirement of having a top three defense at the moment. So... Uh, I'm going to stick with my man, Gobert, but uh, wide open, as you said. Yep, it's a fun one to track. I'm really excited to see how it goes down the rest of the season. But uh, let's go ahead and move on, because I don't think we're going to make any decision on this one right now. Most improved player, which is always kind of a controversial one, because no one knows what the hell it means. Yep. But uh, preseason, I had Jamal Murray, John Collins, and Brandon Ingram as my top three. Mm -hmm. You had Karis LeVert. Uh, Turner slash the bonus and Donovan Mitchell. David, I feel bad for you because you were killing it until LeVert got hurt. I'm still feeling robbed on this one. Uh, we can just about scrub Mitchell and Ingram as our third choices mm-hmm. each. Murray has been pretty good for for your top pick, but probably hasn't improved enough to be in on mm-hmm. this. But yep. uh, I think your second pick, John Collins, is looking really good. Obviously, LeVert is also out because of injury, but I'm going to say that I would have won this very easily if he didn't get himself injured early on in the season. But with Oladipo going down as well, I think my second choice is probably my best bet too with one of uh, Turner or Sabonis maybe um, picking up some you know late season stats with, with Depot out. So my new top three here is actually Vooch, John Collins, 
and D'Angelo Russell, I think, if I was hmm. gi- given a chance to, to give a completely new three, that would be my three. That's funny because you didn't name my, uh, in my opinion, the obvious number one. Who have you got? So I, I generally subscribe to the idea that you don't uh, make second-year players eligible for this award just because they often improve because usually they're terrible as rookies. Yep. But generally that's because they improve, you know, from being borderline, you know, out of the NBA level players, because a lot of rookies are, especially guards. Mm-hmm. And they become, you know, like, you know, slightly below average or like serviceable or whatever. De'Aaron Fox has somehow gone from the worst, one of the worst players in the league to a borderline all-star in one, one, one offseason, which is ridiculous. Yep. And so I throw out any rules against picking second-year players. And so if, I, if I'm going to look at this award and like, who's the most improved player in a way that like matters to the league, in my opinion, it's, it's De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, and I, I'm shocked I'm, I kind of missed him there, so I'm really glad that you brought him up. I'm, I'm probably more shocked uh, now that we have a half a season under our belts of, of you raving about De'Aaron Fox. I'm, I'm kind of shocked you didn't pick him originally, Max. You've, you've been on his bandwagon for quite a while. That would have been a big I, pick. I think it's really because I... I and it's not because I didn't pick second-year players. I have John Collins in there. Yeah. I don't know what happened to me. I think I'm just an idiot, dude. <laughs> the last thing I'll say in this award is, you know, you mentioned at the top that no one really knows what this award is. If it was voted how I think it should be voted on... Um, and kind of really taking into account just all improvement from all players, uh, PG should have a case for most improved mm. player of the year. I really like that. That's a great point. He won't get uh, he won't get any votes, but he should. He, he went from like barely an all star, like borderline all star, to one of the best five or six players in the league. So yeah, that's that's a great point. If you're just talking about pure like how much more impactful they are if you're just measuring impact on a scale yeah you might actually just be the answer and i think uh we can probably end that one here and, and move into coach of the year which i will say all my three choices well my third choice is is going to be okay but uh, my choices overall were bad and your choices overall were very very good max the first two were the third one's pretty bad for me too but yeah so i had bud one uh billy donovan two uh, brad stevens three you had quinn snyder uh, Luke Walton and Bud Third. I think I don't know if you're going to disagree with this, David. I think Budenholzer is running away with this thing right now. Yep, I think it's probably along with the Rookie of the Year one is probably the easiest one to pick right now. As I said, you have this one definitely over me, even though I slid Bud in at number three. There, you went all in on him at the top and were confident of putting him number one. And I've done a little bit of research on this in the past with all the awards and you know big jumps in overall win totals are a big thing for coaches and Milwaukee are on pace for 61 wins right now. And they had 44 last year. Yep. I, and I think the whole going also, it helps. They had really bad coaching last year with uh, the Jason kid and, uh, who was our assistant coach's name? That was their coach for a while, David. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Pronti. Yeah, that one just uh, skipped my mind. But uh, yeah, I, I think just the the, the the narrative is there for him. It, everything aligns for him on that one. It's, it's it's a pretty obvious choice. Even though Giannis has made a giant leap off the back of last year, I think everyone's just going to see it as, as mainly a coaching change of why they've mm-hmm. picked up potentially 17 more wins. So that's going to have the award in the bag for him, I reckon. And I think everyone's seeing it correctly, too. I think that is probably the biggest reason, yep. even with the honest sleep. Uh, I, just in terms of other candidates, man, it's, it's hard to even identify them. I guess you throw in maybe... I think, I think Billy Donovan, my second one's not a terrible one, because OKC's been really good. Yep. They actually beat Milwaukee tonight. 
I guess maybe you are you really going to go like Dave Yeager? Maybe just because Sacramento's been so much better than I expected. Yeager's not on my list, but uh, another guy that is is Atkinson because oh yeah, yeah, Brooklyn yeah. are on pace for about forty four, and they had twenty eight last season. Uh, Sacramento would be very close to that. I think Sacramento, off the top of my head, had twenty seven last season, and I think they're on pace for a five hundred season. So that would be another pretty big leap. And uh, Mike Malone's the other one that both of us missed mm-hmm. in our preseason that um, could be up there because they will probably have you know around about a ten win jump season on season. So he's another name to watch. But I think it'll be Bud at the top of everyone's ballots at the end of the year, Max. Yeah, he might be unanimous on this one. All right, should we move on to seven seconds or less? I think it's time to do it, Max. Let's do it. Seven seconds or less is a segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has not prepared and only has seven seconds. Or less to answer, David. This week, it is your turn to ask me the question. It is, and I will get straight to it. Uh, We're going to do trade deadline stuff probably next episode, as you mentioned earlier. So I'm going to preview that a little bit here with my three questions. So number one, if you could send Troy Daniels to any of the other 29 teams for a second round pick, where would you trade him? I would trade him to OKC because they could use shooting, and uh, I want my prediction other than the ones to be right. I like that. That's a great pick. Number two, if you could trade the Milwaukee pick for a role player to come in for the rest of this season and help the Suns finish on a good note, who would it be, Max? Can a role player be a point guard? Is that allowed? It can. Um, Let's say the Clippers fall off and no Beverly is leaving. How about that? Patrick Beverly comes in and stabilizes. Yep, I like that one. And number three, right now the Warriors look hard to beat again, but if you could take one star or fringe star, Max, and trade them to a contender to perhaps challenge the Warriors in the finals, who would it be? So it's in the finals, so I'm, I'm, we're going to the East here? Uh, well, no, you can you can go West as well, in, in the playoffs overall. I'm going to go with my boys in OKC again, because I, I think that the, the defense and the Paul George thing is enough. Uh, if they add one more person, and uh, I don't want to be boring because I've said this before, but I just think Bradley Beal would be so awesome on that freaking team, man. He really would. I thought you were going to say Carmelo Anthony there for a minute, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we may have seen that. It didn't work as well as uh, someone hoped. <laughs> yeah, Bill, I think, yeah, we've touched on it before, but it's a it's a great pick. Bill on that team would be awesome. So that is it. Very quick, seven seconds or less, as we always try to do. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, David, before we sign off here, are there any reviews to shout out? There are a couple, actually. We had one in Australia and one in the US. Our good friend Jared Renko was nice enough to review us in the USA. And Justin KCC, shout out to you for reviewing us on the Australian iTunes, Justin. Uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, let me know which person you are so I can thank you personally. And we will continually uh, read you out on the episodes if you uh, throw us a five-star and a review. Yeah, please do. It really does make us feel good and it helps the podcast. And we appreciate it. And please also rate and please subscribe. That also helps us. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining me. This is fun this week. I, I, I'm glad we were able to spin the depressing month awards into something a little more fun. Yeah, and hopefully the listeners in, enjoyed it too. Uh, coming up to trade deadline, one of my favorite parts of the year. I'll be waking up ridiculously early in Australia to uh, you know watch the last few hours of that. Maybe the Suns will make a move, but we'll preview it on the next episode. And a pretty short week this week with uh, today's game against LA, 
a game against the Spurs and then one against Atlanta with quite a few off days in between, Max. So uh, not much basketball to talk about for next episode anyway. No, not a whole lot to talk about. Uh, I'm going to the Atlanta game, by the way, so uh, we will report right from the stadium. The first one I've gone to since the season opener, which uh, it probably won't be that good. <laughs> well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be able to touch on hopefully a little bit of that one on our next episode. Yeah, I hope so. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.